Welcome to Side Projects. Yes. Welcome to Side Projects. I like that. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Yeah, so big news, everybody. I carved actually a grand total of six pumpkins this what? year. Six? Yeah. Oh, yep. Gosh. I didn't carve yeah, anything. so it was a lot of pumpkins. You didn't even carve like a chunk of wood? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. No carving. <laughs> yeah. It was a pretty busy evening for me. <laughs> well, welcome to Side Projects, everybody. I'm Brian. And I'm Amy. And we are... Going to talk about the book that everybody who talks about craft talks about. Mm -hmm. It's um, The Nature and Art of Workmanship by David Pye, which was written in 1968, I think. Oh, yeah. Right before Woodstock. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah, it's it's a pretty foundational uh, work from what I can tell it's like, like every person who writes about craft references him. So, and like specifically like craft theory stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he's not, he's not telling you like how to turn a bowl in a lathe or something. It's all theory and uh, kind of craft philosophy and that sort of thing. So I still think that uh, a sense of place would probably be a better foundational piece. <laughs> Lord, no. <laughs> I kind of doubt it. <laughs> no, but um, well, Amy, you've been reading this book for a while, right? Or for right. A while. not Where that I'm it's like taking slowly. you a long time, but we've been talking about it for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, no, it is taking me a while because I just I have like I don't know four or five books going at the same time, and so I was just sort of like go from one to another, like a little bee or something. Oh, oh! <laughs> You're like a little book bee pollinating, <laughs> pollinating all these books. books. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that makes me wish Corey Pemberton was with us in his bee costume. We oh, talked about. yeah. <laughs> That's Corey Pemberton from episode eleven. <laughs> yes, yes. Cross reference. Um, yes, um, cross pollination. Before we get into that, we should um, do some of the announcements for. Our sponsors. Yeah, from our sponsors, we've got a new sponsor, North House Folk School, which I'm really excited about. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So they are up on the shores of Lake Superior in Minnesota, and they're encouraging people to check out their wide variety of online and in-person courses, especially for this winter. So in December, they have a really big variety, actually, um, of things to choose from online. They've got baking and felting and cheese making courses. And you can do all of those things from the comfort of your house, just like all online. You don't even have to change your clothes <laughs> to look presentable. Um, <laughs> and that's something I would be excited about. But uh, so and th- for those of you who have the ability to drive up to North House, uh, there are kick sled building and yurt building classes in December, and they're all with Ooh. the appropriate safety precautions, of course. Just like COVID-related safety? Yeah, yeah, COVID-related stuff. I mean, I, I'm sure they're also safe in, in their usage of tools, too. But <laughs> 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 but uh, yeah, it's all like a health health precautions. They do have free weekly programming also. They have webinars and videos. And in November, I think it starts the 20th or something, 
Um, they have uh, the Winter's Gathering and Arctic Film Festival. And they have all sorts of things happening during that Arctic Film Festival, including totally free um, webinars. And one of those, for example, cool. is... It, yeah, it's really interesting. The Utility and Artistry of Sami Knives, which coming from my perspective of like green woodworking and sloidy things, I think there are, there's a lot of people out there who would be interested in that. And um, you just have to basically show up on the internet. It's like the easiest thing ever to learn <laughs> to participate in like a very <laughs> passive learning process. Like you don't even have to read anything. So, <laughs> so yeah, there's like plenty available. And I think people should check it out. Yeah. Well, and you were even talking about that like spinning class or something where they send you the, all the stuff. Yeah, I was because I'm right. Yeah, I'm really interested in um, weaving and textiles and all those sorts of things, fibers. And I was I've I've been thinking about just trying drop drop spindle like a drop spindle class and just through the course of looking through their website for the announcements for side projects, I was like basically selling myself on all these classes I wanted to take. <laughs> I was like, Oh, I could take that one. Oh, I could take that one. That looks really good. And it's really nice because I won't have to travel to Minnesota, which for me is really hard because I'm from the East coast. So it just seems really convenient. And I, I, why not do something like that in the middle of January where it's like cold and you just want to be covered in fibers anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's just, it's super sweet. There's all kinds of cool stuff. And I really love that they also have free offerings, um, which mm -hmm. I think is really nice. So mm -hmm. uh, yeah, check it out. <laughs> check, check it out. Do it. Well, we also have some announcements from the John C. Campbell Folk School down in Brasstown, North Carolina. Their uh, course catalog is out. Uh, you can download it online from uh, blog.folkschool.org. And that has all of their um, course offerings for next January through next June. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, their scholarship application season for next year is now open. Of course, these are, you can do partial or full coverage for tuition, housing, and meals. Um, but the, here's the catcher. Is that the right word? The catcher? Catcher, uh, here's the, catcher in the rye. <laughs> here's the catch. Oh, here's the catch. That's what I was looking for. Oh, there you go. There here's you the go. catch. There is no deadline, but, and and applications are accepted all year round. However, there is, it's a first come first serve basis. So mm -hmm. the sooner you apply, the better your chances are. So definitely mm -hmm. get on that. Mm -hmm. But to learn more about that, visit folkschool.org and click on the scholarships and mentorships section under the explore nice. column on the left. And if you have any questions, you can email them at scholarships at folkschool.org. Um, and on top of that, if you don't feel like waiting a whole month in between side projects to hear announcements about the John C. <laughs> Campbell Folk School, their e-newsletter is the best way to stay in touch. So if you go to folkschool.org, Type in your email under the explore column. Uh, you can subscribe and you'll receive general news and updates. And I think, of course, you can like you can customize that to get the type of information you're most interested in. Mm -hmm. For instance, virtual demos and classes, 
uh, mm-hmm. morning song performers and more. Um, but yeah, it's just the best and easiest way to stay up to date. So check yeah. it out. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess let's get to it. Amy, would you remind us again exactly which portion of which book by which author you are uh, sharing with us today? <laughs> <laughs> okay. The Nature and Art of Workmanship by David Pye. And it's the second chapter, which is called The Workmanship of Risk and the Workmanship of Certainty. Ooh. All right. Well, here we go. Workmanship of the better sort is called, in an honorific way, craftsmanship. Nobody, however, is prepared to say where craftsmanship ends and ordinary manufacture begins. It is impossible to find a generally satisfactory definition for it in the face of all the strange shibboleths and prejudices about it which are acrimoniously maintained. It is a word to start an argument with. There are people who say they would like to see the last of craftsmanship because, as they conceive of it, it is essentially backward-looking and opposed to the new technology which the world must now depend on. For these people, craftsmanship is at best an affair of hobbies in garden sheds. Just as for them, art is an affair of things in galleries. There are many people who see craftsmanship as the source of a valuable ingredient of civilization. There are also people who tend to believe that craftsmanship has a deep spiritual value of a somewhat mystical kind. If I must ascribe a meaning to the word craftsmanship, I shall say as a first approximation that it means simply workmanship using any kind of technique or apparatus, in which the quality of the result is not predetermined but depends on the judgment, dexterity, and care which the maker exercises as he works. The essential idea is that the quality of the result is continually at risk during the process of making. And so, I shall call this kind of workmanship the workmanship of risk, an uncouth phrase, but at least descriptive. It may be mentioned in passing that in workmanship the care counts more than the judgment and dexterity, though care may well become habitual and unconscious. With the workmanship of risk, we may contrast the workmanship of certainty, always to be found in quantity production, and found in its pure state in full automation. In workmanship of this sort, the quality of the result is exactly predetermined before a single saleable thing is made. In less developed forms of it, the result of each operation done during production is predetermined. The workmanship of certainty has been in occasional use in undeveloped and embryonic forms since the Middle Ages. And I should suppose from much earlier times, but all the works of men which have been most admired since the beginning of history have been made by the workmanship of risk, the last three or four generations only accepted. The techniques to which the workmanship of certainty can be economically applied are not nearly so diverse as those by the workmanship of risk. It is certain that when the workmanship of certainty remakes our whole environment, as it is bound to do now, it will also change the visible quality of it. In some of the following chapters, I shall discuss what may be lost and gained. The most typical and familiar example of the workmanship of risk is writing with a pen, and of the workmanship of certainty, modern printing. The first thing to be observed about printing, or any other representative example of workmanship of certainty, is that it originally involves more of judgment, dexterity, and care than writing does, not less. 
for the type had to be carved out of metal by hand in the first instance before any could be cast, and the compositor of all people has to work carefully, and so on. But all this judgment, dexterity, and care has been concentrated and stored up before the actual printing starts. Once it does start, the stored-up capital is drawn on, and newspapers come pouring out in an absolutely predetermined form with no possibility of variation between them. By virtue of the exacting work, put in beforehand in making and preparing the plant which does the work, and making not only the plant but the tools, patterns, prototypes, and jigs which enabled the plant to be built, and all of which had to be made by the workmanship of risk. Typing represents an intermediate form of the workmanship, that of limited risk. You can spoil the page in innumerable ways, but the ends will never look like use, and however ugly the typing, it will almost necessarily be legible. All workmen using the workmanship of risk are constantly devising ways to limit the risk by using such things as jigs and templates. If you want to draw a straight line with your pen, you do not go at it freehand, but use a ruler, that is to say, a jig. There is still a risk of blots and kinks, but less risk. You could even do your writing with a stencil, a more exacting jig, but it would be slow. Speed and production is usually the purpose of the workmanship of certainty, but it is not always. Machine tools, which once set up, perform one operation, such, for instance, as cutting a slot in an absolutely predetermined form, are often used simply for the sake of accuracy, and not at all to save time or labor. Thus, in the course of doing a job by the workmanship of risk, a workman will be working freehand with a hand tool at one moment and will resort to a machine tool a few minutes later. In fact, the workmanship of risk in most trades is hardly ever seen, and has hardly ever been known, in a pure form considering the ancient use of templates, jigs, machines, and other shape-determining systems, which reduce risk. Yet, in principle, the distinction between the two different kinds of workmanship is clear and turns on the question, is the result predetermined and unalterable once production begins? Bolts can be made by an automatic machine, which when fed with blanks repeatedly performs a set sequence of operations and turns out hundreds of finished bolts without anyone even having to look at it. In full automation, much the same can be said of more complex products, substituting the words automated factory for automatic machine. But the workmanship of certainty is still often applied in a less developed form where the product is made by a planned sequence of operations, each of which has to be started and stopped by the operative, but with the result of each one predetermined and outside his control. There are also hybrid forms of production where some of the operations have predetermined results and some are performed by the workmanship of risk. The craft-based industries so-called work like this. Yet it is not difficult to decide which category any given piece of work falls into. An operative applying the workmanship of certainty cannot spoil the job. A workman using the workmanship of risk assisted by no matter what machine tools and jigs can do so at almost any minute. That is the essential difference. The risk is real. But there is much more in workmanship than not spoiling the job, just as there is more in music than playing the right notes. There is something about the workmanship of risk 
or its results, or something associated with it, which has been long and widely valued. What is it, and how can it be continued? That is one of the principal questions which I hope this book may answer, and answer factually rather than with a series of emotive noises such as protagonists of craftsmanship have too often made instead of answering it. It is obvious that the workmanship of risk is not always or necessarily valuable. In many contexts, it is an utter waste of time. It can produce things of the worst imaginable quality. It is often expensive. From time to time, it had doubtless been practiced effectively by people of the utmost depravity. It is equally obvious that not all of it is in jeopardy, for the whole range of modern techniques is based on it. Nothing can be made in quantity unless tools, jigs, and prototypes, both of the product and the plant to produce it, have been made first and made singly. It is fairly certain that the workmanship of risk will seldom or never again be used for producing things in quantity as distinct from making the apparatus for doing so. The apparatus which predetermines the quality of the product. But it is just as certain that a few things will continue to be specially made simply because people will continue to demand individuality in their possessions and will not be content with standardization everywhere. The danger is not that the workmanship of risk will die out altogether, but rather that from want of theory and thence lack of standards, its possibilities will be neglected and inferior forms of it will be taken for granted and accepted. There was once a time when the workmanship of certainty and the form colloquially called mass production generally made things of worse quality than the best that could be done by the workmanship of risk, colloquially called handmade. That is far from true now. The workmanship of a standard bolt or nut, or a glass or polyethylene bottle, a tobacco tin, or an electric light bulb is as good as it possibly could be. The workmanship of risk has no exclusive prerogative of quality. What it has exclusively is an immensely various range of qualities, without which at its command the art of design becomes arid and impoverished. A fair measure of the aesthetic richness, delicacy, and subtlety of the workmanship of risk, as against that of certainty, is given by comparing the contents of, say, the British Museum with those of a good department store. Nearly everything in the museum has been made by the workmanship of risk, most things in the store by the workmanship of certainty. Yet if the two were compared in respect of the ingenuity and variety of devices represented in them, the museum would seem infantile. At the present moment, we are more fond of the ingenuity than the qualities. But without losing the ingenuity, we could, in places, still have the qualities if we really wanted them. Cool. Thanks for sharing that, Umble. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> what do you think about it? It's interesting because I think to some extent, for, and this is just for me personally, obviously, it's like stuff that I'm really interested in thinking about, but I also have a hard time knowing exactly how it matters. <laughs> 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 well, so it's like, okay, so as probably some of you who are listening now and as Amy definitely knows by now, um, <laughs> I'm always complaining about like, oh, I don't understand why it's like more complicated than like I like doing it this way. 
mm-hmm. uh, or that kind of thing. And, you mm-hmm. know, and I've talked with Dawson before who, I mean, his episode so far is still one of our most listened to ones. Oh, is it? And yeah. And, oh, um, nice. and it's, I think because he has so much interesting, like, uh, cool philosophy about craft, but mm-hmm. on one level, if you catch him in a different mood where we weren't, where when you're not able to get him to talk, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> he'll just say, oh, I just do it because I like it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> but then there is all this other stuff going on behind the scenes. Yeah. And um, so I was talking with Katie about it, my partner, and was like, oh, well, what... I don't, I don't know. I have a hard time like talking about it. She's like, oh, well, like when you think about these theories, it allows you to put to words like why it's fun to you. Yeah. And that was very helpful. So I do need (laughs) to thank you, Amy, for always making me think about these things that I normally try to avoid. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. So in regards to this article and trying to think about like why the risk versus the certainty is important um, mm-hmm. or how it, I guess maybe not how it's important in that it, how it applies to everyone, but at least how it applies to me in a more practical mm-hmm. way is I think that the risk is sort of like the behind the scenes fun factor mm. Um to doing things the way that people enjoy doing them and whether it's like kind of what Curtis Buchanan talked about in his interview where Mm -hmm. it was like, as you're turning like chair legs, you know, there's a certain percentage of the time that you have to, that when you get in the flow and everything's going right, you know, you might only screw it up five or 10% of the time but there's always the risk of screwing it up. And that's kind mm. of what makes it fun. Like no matter how long you've been doing it for, you can still screw it up. <laughs> and I think, and like whether or not you're doing something only with hand tools where literally every cut is a potential screw up or you have to know what you're doing for, and be there mentally for each step of the way. Mm-hmm. Um, or if you're using a lot of uh, plugged in tools, um, <laughs> Maybe it's the risk of losing a finger that excites you <laughs> or something. <laughs> With your angle grinder. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's no. certainly the case with the the little metal lathe. If you leave right. the chuck key in there, you can just like straight up die when you oh. cut it on. Like oh, it'll just shoot oh, it yeah. in, into your head and then oh you're just God. done. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so don't, Seriously. don't do that. That's pretty risky. <laughs> no, metal lathes are really scary. <laughs> Um, but also very risky and thus very fun. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, (laughs) what, what you're talking about basically goes hand in hand with the, uh, Bruce Metcalf article where he's talking about flow and how, definitely. and Curtis, you know, he's talking about that too. He even mentioned the article in his interview, I think. Um, and Mm -hmm. it's all about finding that that place like right on the edge where you have enough skill and competence and like repetitive muscle memory to feel like relatively competent in what you're doing. But then there's that like little extra bit of challenge involved that um, when you kind of put it into the mixed mix helps with 
that flow state. And that's something that people enter into actually in a variety of ways. I think there are people like adventure sports people who are like really into, into that kind of stuff. And they experience flow, I would imagine in, in, in that, you know, like, uh, whitewater rafting or, um, rock climbing or something <laughs> like that. You know, I mean, obviously I don't do any of that. I am not like an adventure sports person. I'm like, what no. are adventure sports? But, <laughs> but I think. <laughs> no, I, no, no. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I didn't, I don't mean to derail it at all. But, uh, I think adventure sports might be a sort of plugged in tools kind of Amy term. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's not. Maybe I'm just being overly critical, or maybe it's a regional thing. <laughs> no, uh, but it is. I just thought that was very it, an adorable way to say it. Adventure oh, no. sports. It is adventure. It, there's <laughs> uh, no. It's it's a category of sports. Like <laughs> uh, <laughs> it is. It is. It's actually um, there's a local college here where you can graduate with a degree in adventure sports. Like. Um, Whoa. Yeah. And it's, you know, being able to like teach kayaking or on like really intense rapids or whitewater rafting or rock climbing or um, what else is there? Backpacking and sort of like that kind of outdoorsy stuff that there's a lot of risk involved. Like metal in. lathe. Yeah. Metal lathe is an adventure <laughs> sport. <laughs> but yeah, totally, I, know, totally. I think it's sort of applicable. I think it's applicable to anything where you're interacting with the world or risk or risk in some way or another, like that can set you into that flow. I think there are even people who mention um, flow and the psychologist who came up with that concept or identified that concept in association with meditation too. So it doesn't have mm -hmm. to be, it doesn't have to be like some sort of super intense physical thing in order to enter into that flow with risk and uncertainty and, and totally all the skill involved in those things. So yeah, it's pretty interesting stuff. Yeah. But I mean, all this to say, and maybe it's the same with all of those adventure sports, <laughs> um, but it's also that like the risk is the fun factor. Yeah. Um, and uh, even though the stakes are definitely different, mm -hmm. um, except for in the metal lathe and the extreme sports, <laughs> definitely the same amount of risk. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, as you can, as y'all can tell, I'm still like terrified of this thing, but it's awesome <laughs> at the same time. Um, <laughs> it's just like metal spinning around in super fast circles. But yeah, no, I just thought it was cool to finally have some sense of like, oh, this is why it's good for me to think about this. And I mean, maybe it's um, self-evident to everyone that's listening, uh, but it was a big revelation for me. <laughs> <laughs> but all right, so I really like his definition of the workmanship of risk. And well, I, I typed that all out as you were reading. So here mm -hmm. we go. I'll just reshare it again. But it's workmanship mm -hmm. using any kind of technique or apparatus in which the quality is not predetermined, but depends on the judgment, dexterity, and care which the maker exercises as they work. 
the mm-hmm. quality of the final result is at risk at any given point in the process is essentially the summary of that. Um, mm-hmm. And then on the opposite end of that spectrum, obviously, is the workmanship of certainty, just fully automated like CNC uh, stuff going on where they're just like programming things, putting a little chunk of metal or whatever in and then hit and go. And then you get the finished like doorknob or right. whatever out on the other side. Right. <laughs> <laughs> or as he talks about a lot, b- bolts, which always just, it was so funny because I just kept thinking of Seth Gould and making all oh, of those know, like right? hundreds of bolts for his coffer. <laughs> 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 and I was like, if only David Pye knew that there would be people who are <laughs> still making those bolts because David Pye seemed fine <laughs> with people like making bolts using fully automated processes. But then, yeah. like, and well, then you got Seth Gould just making his own. Yep. The feeling that I get from reading the the book is that he's not trying to say necessarily that one is definitely better than the other because definitely. you can't you can't necessarily make that distinction because we've been using jigs and um, semi kind of automated processes since forever. Like even a knife with a certain bevel on it that has a jig. It's not just like, like the bevel itself is the jig because the blade is like resting on that bevel. And so it's going to dig into the wood or not according to the, the back bevel on the, the knife. You know what I mean? Totally. And, and really the only reason all these modern applications exist is because like, People at any given time have been trying to find the easiest way to do whatever it is that they're doing. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, it, it, there's also, there's, he, I think at the beginning of the book also talks about like the whole demonstration of risk and uncertainty with dividing a piece of paper in half. It's like, well, you could just completely rip it with your fingers and take the time necessary to just do it perfectly, or you could. Um, fold it over and try to tear it along the line that you've folded to make it easier, which mm-hmm. is more certain. So you're you're operating within um, that workmanship of certainty to make it easier and faster for yourself. Sure. Um, and then you could you could go even further, like get a tool which would be a pair of scissors and a measuring device and like measure where the center is and all that kind of stuff. So it's not as if it's not as if, if you're working with within the workmanship of certainty, that risk completely disappears. It's like a balance between the two. And I think that's something that he spends a lot of time um, defining that I think, I think it's really interesting because not only is it, applicable to craft, but I think it's also applicable to the sort of person who's attracted to like craftsmanship and craft as a career, because there's more certainty in, in like financial stuff. If you go to a nine to five job that like pays for a 401k and a, you know, health insurance and all that kind of stuff, like all of that is taken care of. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas for craftspeople, it's like, no, that doesn't really happen. <laughs> Not only are you working with uncertainty and risk in the craft that you're choosing, but also within the broader picture of your life. And that's something that I think is very interesting and applies um, 
in a like a wide variety of ways to people's lives. Way to scale it out. I know. Well, I, I can't help but go there. It's like, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> well, it's it's all about that balance, right? You know, it's like after I graduated from college, I immediately got a job at a credit union because that's what you do when you're an art major. <laughs> and, so, and so I was thinking, this is really great. I'll have a 401k. I'll have health insurance. I'll have money to pay rent and all of those things, all of which are good. You know, it's not something that is uh, a terrible thing to have, but I, I was working at this job. It was nine to five. I never got to go outside during the daytime really because did you of have the nature window? of work hours. Yeah. Yeah, I did. I mean, if I was working at the drive through, <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, it was just like inside staring at a computer all day. Hmm. And for me, I just, it wasn't fulfilling at all. And so I was like, I got to be doing something else. I can't just, for the sake of certainty, stay mm -hmm. in this position doing the same thing just because I'm creating certainty for like an unknown future, you know? And so when I, when I stopped that, it, it, um, risk was in my life big time. <laughs> <laughs> Uncertainty in terms of pay and stuff, but certainty in terms of a good time. Right, right. I think this is this is kind of at work in everyone's life as far as like career choices go. It's like, well, mm -hmm. you know, decide how much risk you want, decide how much certainty you want and try to find a balance between all of them. And the 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 thing where maybe discord happens is the lack of balance between both of those things. It's yeah. like, yeah, I'm a craftsperson, but it doesn't mean I have to make all of my own bolts too. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> or right. like grow all, all of my food and all of the fibers for making my clothes and create my own clothes and carve all of my own dishes. And you know, like it doesn't, <laughs> you have to find a balance. You can't be a maniac. There's definitely, yeah. yeah I think the idea of balance is really important. Uh, um, mm -hmm. which now that I said that, of course, that's like, I guess, pretty obvious, but it's like, it's, <laughs> I guess it's like, it should never keep you from doing something that feels right for how you want to do it. And maybe, I mean, okay, for example, within, since it's just at hand, um, since you're a woodworker, that I think mm -hmm. to me, woodworking uh, exhibits a huge like it sort of encompasses all of the, the this discussion where mm -hmm. you have on one hand, there's like people who are like, you know, like Curtis or something who are getting this tree from really nearby and are processing mm -hmm. it all from the log completely by hand um, with mm -hmm. really minimal plugged in tools. Um, <laughs> and then you have other people who are like, I'm going to, you know, get all of the plugged in tools and all of the really crazy jigs and stuff like that and mm -hmm. use those to help me get where I want. And like both mm -hmm. of those involve different types of uncertainty and, uh, or sorry, <laughs> I just like combined risk and certainty into uncertainty, <laughs> I guess. Um, yeah. But yeah. I don't know. It's just like, but all of that's like woodworking and all of it's equally like can yeah. have equally nice products and like an equally good vibe. Um, mm -hmm. 
but it's like all down to what those individuals who are making it get out of it and then what the taste of their customers are or their clients. Yeah, yeah. If that makes it's sense. It's true. It does. It does make sense. Because like sometimes you're busting out the angle grinder to do stuff. <laughs> or like, Heck yeah. <laughs> I like angle grind. I, I'm, you know, I'm practical. I'm not one of the things that I have to deal with personally is that I have my elbow is not in primo condition. So that means I can't just stand at a stump all day and carve bowls. I can't do it physically because it would wreck my arm. So sometimes if my arm is hurting or if I've been working really hard recently and and I I can hardly bend my elbow, like I I all like cut out a blank on the bandsaw and I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> if it if it like fits some idea of how I should be working because it's it's helping me out in the long run like I'm not trying to ruin my body for the sake of a a standard that someone has set. So Right, right. It's just you got to find wiggle room and not not be not be dogmatic. dismissive. <laughs> not be dismissive, a dogmatic. Yeah. I know I say that all the time, but like you there's not you don't necessarily have to be dismissive of somebody's process just because it doesn't match your own. No, I would definitely agree with that. I think it'll be really interesting too. I mean, this is chapter 2 in the book, so it's really he's just laying out <laughs> the foundation for things. <laughs> so right. it'll be interesting to sort of see where it goes from here. Mm. Um mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I'm really excited to hear. Hopefully we can share, you know, additional chapters from it or something as it goes along. Right, right. Or I could do like a little synopsis in between poignant moments or something in the book. Ooh, so, yeah, like a best of. Best of with David Pye. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, thank you for uh, digging that up and sharing it with us. That um, I mean, yeah. it's a lot. Of, at any rate, whatever you pulled from it, uh, as you can see, Amy and I's conversation went in all sorts of directions. Um, <laughs> <Right>. but, <laughs> uh, but I do think it's like some good food for thought and fun to think about. So there's that at the yeah. very least. Yeah. The process. It's about right. the process. Don't listen to any conclusions yep. that we had. Just go on the journey with us. <laughs> Perfect. Was well, there anything else you wanted to say about it? I don't think so. I think I think we covered a lot of crazy rabbit holes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, agree. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, thank you everybody for uh, tuning in and checking out mm-hmm. the article. We hope you'll check mm-hmm. out some of what North House and John C. Campbell have to offer. And then, of course, thank you to all the usual suspects, to Luke Mitchell Mm -hmm. and the High Divers, to Brad Vetter, and to Mm -hmm. Justin Williams, who I guess doesn't, didn't have anything to do with the side projects, but... (laughs) But we like him anyway. (laughs) Yeah, we like him anyway. He'll be in the the next episode. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. Anyway, thank y'all so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much. See you next time.